Hello, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and you're about to listen to part two of Paul and I's discussion about the LGBTQ plus community. Now, just to remind you, this topic and the questions that we discuss around it came from Cibolo Creek's Q&A Sunday, which is a once-a-year event that we have on a Sunday morning where the audience can send in any question they'd like, and Paul will do his best to answer as many questions as he can uh, in real time from the stage. Now, obviously, that's not enough time, and so many of the questions go unanswered. But we decided to answer some of those questions here on the podcast. Just wanted to give you that context. And also, if you haven't listened to part one, I would highly suggest that you do so. But regardless, enjoy this episode. So a lot of the questions were around, well, how do we love them well and not compromise on what we believe to be true? That's the question for you. How do we love the LGBTQ plus community well whilst not compromising on what we believe to be true. Yeah. So let me, let me give you a quick response and then I'd like to share a couple of rules that I have established as sort of a set of guidelines for Christians, not just in relationship to LGBTQ, but any sort of, hot topic, controversial social issue of our day. Uh, first of all, I have a number of relatives and a number of friends who um, are LGBTQ, and I love them. They're my family. Um, these are my cousins. I grew up with them. Uh, we, have a, we have a very deep shared experience. Um, the whole... You know, I come from the Wilsons, right? And so the Wilsons have this rich heritage and legacy of our family. And I'm devoted to these people. These are my, this is my family. And it's, the interesting thing is, I don't relate to them based on their sexual preferences. Yeah. I relate to them because they're, one, they're human, two, they're family, I love them. It it doesn't it makes no difference to me when it comes to the relational loyalty about what they may choose by way of sexual preference. In the same way is I don't choose any of my heterosexual friends based on what they do in their bedroom. Yeah. That's not even a criteria for me. There's a host of other criteria by which I establish friendships and I to this day I don't know that their sexual behaviors have ever been one of those criteria. That'd be an odd checklist. Okay, it would be yeah. very odd. So if me and cousins sat down and talked about this particular matter, it'd be very evident that we have very different opinions and perspectives on it. But I wouldn't love them any less, and I wouldn't relate to them any differently than any other topic that we hold differences of opinion about. We, we probably hold differences of opinions on politics. We probably hold different opinions on about a host of topics, not just sexual you know, identity. And so I never choose relationship based on that sort of question or that sort of subject. So how do you deal or relate to somebody in that community is I don't, relate to them any differently than I would anybody else that I'm seeking to build relationship or friendship with. I 
just like any relationship, I would I would hope that I endeavor to um, treat them with respect. I would seek to understand their perspective in the way that I'd hope they would seek to understand my perspective. Um, you know, love, loyalty, just name kindness, compassion, all of the relational words to me is not uh, defined by a sexual choice. Yeah. And it's a really odd thing if that becomes the break of a relationship. And it should be particularly odd for a Christian to allow that sort of topic to become a break in a relationship. You see Christians do that a lot, even now, but historically for sure, they, they set aside homosexuality as being oh, it's even the, more wrong than the thing that was said before and after it. Yes, and that's so ridiculous in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, I, I have some thinking on that I could share with you at some time, but let me offer you a couple ground rules that I found helpful, and it comes from a teachable point of view that I, I, I share from time to time in the course of my ministry. Um, the first one is this. There's no behavior among humans that gives Christians permissions to be rude or mean to others. Like none. There is literally no behavior that human beings could be guilty of or, or to um, participate in that gives Christians the permissions to be rude or to be mean. Mm. I mean, the royal law of love, as James described, the royal law of love is that. You love your neighbor. And um, that's, that's what Christ called us to as Christians. So anytime I'm refusing to be loving or refusing to love somebody whose behavior I may not agree with, it certainly never gives me permission to be rude or mean to them. They're human beings created in the image of God. They are sinners as much as I am, and uh, they have value in the sight of God. Christ died for them. So it, to be mean and rude that is such a poor exegesis of what boldness or courage or standing up for your faith um, is interpreted to be. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not even in the same ballpark. Um, second rule is how we respond to people either draws them toward God or drives them away from him. So how we respond to people either draws people toward God or drives them away from him and quote, I mean, in uh, parentheses, our job as Christians is to draw people toward God. Mm. We were not given the ministry of condemnation. Second Corinthians 5, we were given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to do everything in our power to help draw people into an attraction to the things of God, and particularly that which is provided in Jesus Christ. And so when Christians get all wound up around a certain social or moral topic and they end up behaving so poorly that people end up going, oh, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian or if that's what your God is like, then, yeah, I'm, I'm out. I have no interest. Then we have failed. We have failed to be the followers of Jesus that we were invited to be. A third Sin, manif sin manifests itself in an endless variety of ways in all people, even Christians. Mm -hmm. 
and God is not a dis, the, the God doesn't distinguish one sin as being you know more offensive than another in in the eyes of God all sin is sin it's offensive to him as a holy God and so it's um we have to recognize that sin comes in all shapes and sizes in all of us and that includes Christians so for Christians to take a sort of an air of moral or spiritual superiority over somebody who's living in a way that they think they shouldn't uh, there's no place for that you know humility is recognizing hey i'm i'm as much of a sinner in need of god's grace as anybody else and so i think that has a huge bearing on then how we approach the different topics of social or cultural immorality um fourth rule all in any sin is within the reach of God's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that anybody will ever do that's beyond the scope of the capacity of God's eternal love for them, of God's capacity to show them mercy, to extend to them grace, and to forgive them of whatever it is that they've done. And I don't care who you're talking about. You just look at the life of Jesus, and there was a host of people whose lives were immoral, and his grace, his mercy, his love for them was evident, and there was nobody that he couldn't um, he couldn't accept and and um, and show his love to. And then the fifth one is this, and this one's this is really big, particularly in the Christian community amongst you know the quote unquote Bible scholars, you know the theologians. <laughs> Truth unaccompanied by grace is hollow and abusive. Truth, unaccompanied by grace, is hollow and it's abusive. And anytime we take God's word and use it as a, you know, as a tool for beating people up without, you know, any expression of grace and understanding and compassion, we're misrepresenting the gospel. Yeah. And we're certainly misrepresenting what God intended his truth to be and so it's it breaks my heart when i see christians behave poorly about a host of social topics because you know they want to beat people over the head with the scriptures and they they behave in such inconsiderate and really mean and rude ways and it's 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 not a reflection of jesus and so I, I think we begin there when it comes to, you know, how do we relate to and treat um, our friends and our neighbors and relatives who um, have made different choices than we have on a, a number of social issues or cultural issues, and LGBTQ being one of those. Um, there's, there's no permission for us to be ugly. Uh, we have to be patient and understanding and compassionate and loving as an expression of Jesus in their life. And whether that does anything to change their mind or their heart, it, that's, that's not our work. Our work is to be faithful at reflecting Jesus well in his love and his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. With that said, what I'm finding in the, in the discussion is, well, if you love me, you will approve of what I've chosen. Yeah, And that's... That's a completely inconsistent argument. Um, it, it's not true. Um, pl- 
plenty of times as a parent, um, my sons decided to do something contrary to the design and the desire of our household. I didn't stop loving them, but I didn't approve and affirm and applaud behavior that was wrong. So a loving parent can, can and does love without saying, oh, just do as you please, because that then creates an inconsistency of what God has very clearly stated is opposed to his design. Yeah. Well, I think that's the role of a parent, too. It's like, well, if you love your child, you're, you're going to do what you can to make sure that he doesn't, he or she doesn't, do things that you know are just going to result in pain or some type of destruction or something. Or, or consequences. Or consequences or of any yeah. kind, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the role of a loving parent is to be the guide and at times to be the unpopular guide and say the hard things that a child needs to hear in order to become a whole and healthy adult. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is... <laughs> God is a heavenly father, and that's how he loves us as humans. He loves us as his children. And yes, he's given instructions about how this works best. And he's not trying to rob pleasure and joy and steal um, freedom from us. He's really giving us a set of boundaries and guidelines and designs by which we can enjoy that freedom and that, that pleasure and um, all of the benefits that come with it, but that's not how, that's not how it's portrayed in this particular discussion. Is that if you, if God was really a God of love, He would let me do as I please. Yeah. If you loved me, you would accept me in whatever I choose to do, and I can accept you as a human and having value and being in relationship as you know friend or relative or or other relationship and I love you, but that doesn't mean I have to back off of what it is that in my faith informs me is, is improper. Yeah, well, I think like that even goes for like friendships, and I'm talking like friendships, people you have a relationship with. If you truly love them as a friend or you want the best for them, like you want the best for them. It's not... This idea of just, and we've talked about this before, but just accepting them how they are and allowing them to just stay there. Whenever you know that they are either doing something that um, is is harmful, has consequences, negative consequences, or um, or they're doing something that, that well, yeah, it just, it just has negative consequences. Like if you love them, you want them to be the the best that they can be. You can see that you can see that version of them, and I would hope that my friends would help push me there. Right, I would hope that my fiance would help correct me whenever I do wrong or correct me whenever I'm being foolish. Um, loving isn't just an accepting of where you're at now. Loving is is accepting where you're at now, but also ha- having the desire to help you get to where you could be. Right, and like that's kind of the role of parent in that same way. Um, and so that does. I loved what you said about truth unaccompanied with grace is hollow and ineffective. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I see love as. It's it's truth and grace, and that equals love. And um, 
you can't just have one of those aspects without the other. If it's all grace, then there's no truth. There's no, there's yeah. no direction you're going. There's, we were called to be a city upon a hill. Why on a hill? Yeah. Well, maybe that's the right way to go. It's in the design. And so it is our, our duty as Christians and followers of Christ to help point people towards the city that's on the hill. Yeah, and I, I think the way that I have found um, how to live in that tension is to remember whose work is who. So I have a responsibility of lovingly explaining truth as God describes it to the people I encounter. Yep. Um, whether that's living it out or whether that's speaking it forth. And that's not because I'm a preacher. I mean, all Christians have this responsibility of sharing and inviting people to the truth of God as described in, particularly in the gospel. That's my job. But changing their hearts and changing their lifestyles and altering their choices, that's not my job. Yep. So I have to leave that into God's hands, God's timing, God's way. And God's will. And so rather than me getting all wound up trying to force somebody to behave like I think they should in relationship to truth, because I I trust and leave God's work to be his work to do, then I can have the discussion. I can present the information and then leave it at that. Yeah. And so if they choose to either reject or dismiss or even demean that information, I still love them because they're, they're a person and they're a friend or a relative. And, but I think what I see in the Christian community so often is I got to get them to change. Yeah. And so I'm not only going to tell them the truth, I'm going to light a fire under the truth that expresses such an urgency that now I become rude and mean and commandeering and aggressive and I'm yelling and screaming at them you know what's the phrase old southern baptist turn or burn you know it's that kind mm-hmm. of it's my responsibility to totally redirect the trajectory of your moral life that's not my job and so I I I think I'm learning how to let that go so yeah, we can have the conversation and we may be on very different sides of the issue, but it's not my job to get you to behave like I think God thinks you should. That's God's work to do. And man, when you when you can really rest in that, then it's possible to go into those discussions with grace and understanding and respect and patience and know that one, it may never change their heart and mind. Or two, it may take 25 years to change their heart and mind. Or, you know, we don't know the story. We don't know the, the story God has, is writing for them. And so it may be two weeks. It may be 25 years. It may be never. But my faithfulness is consistently loving them and not shying away from opportunities to share the truth and to challenge them to God's design. Yeah. And if they reject it, that's... That is their choice. That's their decision. And that'll be between them and God about how that gets sorted out. Well, and realizing that too, like I've never noticed it in myself, it takes away that that feeling that you have to 
be defensive. Um, yeah. Which, like, the very fortunate thing for Christians is that if if they know, if they understand their faith and if they understand things, what they what we can present to the world need not be defended, right? It's mm-hmm. like, well, do I feel like I have to defend God or can he kind of take care of himself in that way? You know, it's like, it's it's taking yourself out of the equation and the pride of um, wanting to be right, I think, or, or you feeling like you're personally being attacked, which don't get me wrong, both sides, there are people who get personally attacked in these yes. discussions. Yeah. Um, but it takes away that air defensiveness and just kind of detaches yourself from the issue, um, which does free you up to be able to even just be able to listen better um, from that. Yeah, so it's interesting as a preacher, you know, I have this responsibility every seven days to stand in front of a crowd and do my very best to try to uh, explain my understanding of, of what the Bible has to teach about a certain topic. And one of the guiding principles that have been a part of how I go about that is, you know, truth and grace, truth and love, you know, that combination that was descriptive of Jesus. Um, so what I, what I work to strive toward is how, how do I coherently and um, properly explain the truth and yet share it in an expression or a posture and a, um, you know, an attitude of grace. And the way that I've, dis- I think the way that I've landed to do that most successfully or most effectively is, and sometimes it's humor and sometimes it's just authenticity and vulnerability. And I just say, okay, here's, here's the truth as I understand it. So I'm taking myself out of the position of like the dogmatic final authority on this. I just say, here's my best understanding of the truth. And I'll explain it to the best I can. And then I go, but you're an adult. You're an intelligent human being. You're capable. You have a choice to make. And while I might invite you in a direction of what choice to make, I can't make your choice for you. Yeah. And ultimately, what you choose isn't between me and you. Ultimately, what you choose is between you and God. And that's on everything, like what you choose to believe about Jesus, what you choose to believe about you know, the uh, authority and place of Scripture in your life, what you choose to believe about money, sexuality, marriage, relationship. The choice that you make is not mine to make for you. And one of the things I've been very careful about over the last 30 years of, you know, having a teaching ministry is to really fight against anything that smacks of guilting somebody or shaming somebody or manipulating somebody. Because then what am I trying to do? I'm trying to do the work that only God can do. So my job is explain the truth the best I can. And then recognize that they as human beings have the power to choose and that choice is between them and God. And so I, I give them, you know, I hopefully describe it in ways that they might choose what I believe to be the right thing. But ultimately, I leave it with them. 
And that allows me to walk away uh, without carrying this enormous burden of failure because I couldn't get them to choose differently. Because if what I have found, if a preacher is going to have a sustainable, you know, healthy run of ministry, he really, ha- he or she has to be really careful about what burden they take on. Yeah. And I just chose years ago, I can't take on the burden of somebody else's choices. Yeah. And I certainly can't take on the burden of somebody's poor choices. I have no control over that. And so in this topic, you know, a few years ago, uh, we did a series of messages entitled Trending and, you know, hashtag, and we chose, I think, five really hot topics at the time. And homosexuality was one of those. And and that, that was the approach I took. I said, I, one, I know this is a very delicate, sensitive topic. I know that we all know or love somebody who's, you know, wrapped up in a life of, you know, uh, alternative lifestyle and, and, and that expression, and our hearts go out to them, and we love them, their family, their friends, and so, yeah, this is a touchy topic full of all sorts of landmines. And then I made a transition. Okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to explain to you. This, this is, here's some Old Testament passages that seem to show us the heart of God about this matter. Here's a passage in Romans. Here's one in, you know, 1 Corinthians. Here's one in, in other New Testament letters. And, and so I just said, okay, there it is. It, the language can't be any clearer that this is an immoral, improper expression of sexuality as God designed it and God has very strong things to say about it. Okay, with that said... <laughs> Here's the choice. I mean, here's you take it and do with it as that you see fit. I I tried to explain the ramifications of those choices, and I tried to explain a number of different uh, consequences for their choices in relationship to an accountability to God. But in the end, I I was not yelling and screaming and you know trying to guilt and manipulate and scare people into a choice that I wanted because it's not mine to make yeah and what we ended up doing at the end of that message in the last you know 10 minutes or so of that message is i did an illustration um where we actually had these props on stage and uh i don't know if you remember this but i had four um containers on a table um and we identified them as um i think hot hotter and hottest something like that or bad, worse, and even more worse. They were this spectrum. And then I had this other, I had this other big vase full of golf balls, and on each of the golf balls was something that is generally referred to or understood as sinful. Yeah. And it had the whole range from genocide to, you know, stealing the cookie out of a cookie jar. And I probably, I don't know, probably had 75 different, illustrations on the whole extreme of what might be considered sin and then i was literally asking the audience is this a bad is this really bad is this really awful which which bucket do i put this sin in and i mean it fell out exactly as you think it would be and so 
there's, you know, the little white lie and that, well, that's not that bad and, or genocide or rape or murder. That, that's really, really bad. So these golf balls got, got um, distributed throughout the, the spectrum. And then what I did at the end is I go, this is how we see sin. We like to categorize it as being, well, that's not that bad and that's really, really bad. But that's not how God looks at it. God looks at all sin as sin. And all of it's equally offensive to him. The little white lie is a lie. And it's a big dark lie in the, in the estimation of God. And so, you know, Jesus said, if, it's, if you hate, it is to kill. If a man lusts after a woman, he's already committed adultery. So, like these things that we give ourselves kind of social permission as being not that bad, that's not how God sees it. So I took all three of those bucket of golf balls and I poured it into this other one, which is this is how God sees sin. And basically what I was trying to say, hey, Christian, you somehow signaling out homosexuality as the sin du jour that you know is just the unforgivable and you can't relate and accept and you have to be so aggressive about it. Guess what? It fits into the bucket with gluttony and gossip and a host of other, you know, acceptable sorts of equations. And it, it turned out to be a very powerful moment in, in the life of our church. And, you know, a lot of stories came out about, oh, man, that, that really helped me, one, to see my sin from a different perspective and also then to be more um, at least understanding and gracious towards somebody else's sin. And in fact, like maybe I'm going to say a year later, a gentleman in our church came up to me after one of our services. And uh, we'll just say it this way. Uh, prior to this conversation, he would not have been very gracious toward um, homosexual community. Uh, he had some very strong feelings and biases about that and he told the story that he and his wife had gone on a cruise and like is customary on cruises you get seated at a table mm -hmm. with other guests that you didn't necessarily go on the cruise with and you spend the week at that table well he got he and his wife got seated at a table with all homosexual couples yeah. and he he, what he was sharing with me is that first night that he realized the situation, he remembered that sermon mm. and that illustration. And he said, I made, I made a very different effort to try to appreciate and understand these, these people as human beings whom God loves. And I have a responsibility to be gracious and kind and loving toward them as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he ends up telling a story about how much he enjoyed meeting them and getting to know them and how they ended up enjoying the cruise together and, and all of that. And it just, it, it, had, it had a remarkable impact on how he saw that whole equation. Mm -hmm. And so as, as Christians encounter these social and moral dilemmas of our day, I think some of those guiding principles that I shared earlier um, make a huge difference. And then understanding what my job is and what God's job is 
and the distinction of the two, it just changes how I go about relating to somebody whose lifestyle may not be what I would affirm as being consistent with God's design. Yeah. My job is to love, to be kind, compassionate, to be loyal, um, to um, when the occasion presents itself to very graciously and, and hopefully um, intelligently explain the truth of God is best understood and then leave the choice to them and not make it the kind of thing where we have to divide friendships over. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I think we lose what we do is we lose the position of having any kind of influence in that life, in that person's life over the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like, well, and you do, you I mean, you just get to see the person as a person, like whenever you see, their sin is being equal to yours. Well, it if they're equal, they're kind of just taken out of the equation. Yes. You know? And so um, you just get to enjoy them for who they are. Um, and if you can build that relationship, well, then you can go on from there. But but that was, I think that's really, really good. I, I hope that was helpful to a lot of people that will listen to this. I think it will be. It was helpful for me. But um, we are nearing, we're, we're nearing the ending point. Um, we wanted to kind of get into, I think maybe we'll just do a whole different episode maybe on parenting and, and kind of how maybe some tips for, not tips necessarily like <laughs> we have tips, but how to parent, age of LGBTQ 101. Um, but I don't know, some guiding principles yeah. uh, that perhaps Paul has kind of picked up, um, at least maybe even just what the Bible presents to us. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I got an email from a parent a couple weeks ago, and that is exactly the question they were asking me to help them sort out was um, they felt like they had a pretty good handle on how to understand the topic and how they were managing the topic as adults, whether that was, you know, at work or in friendships and and, and in family relationships. So they, they felt pretty good just about how to navigate it. But uh, this mom's concern was my kids are being exposed to so many things at school that is so contrary to how we would have them um, understand their world and, and choose. And sh- she was just like, what can you, what can you give me by way of help? And it's, 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 it's a huge deal for parents. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we can maybe close with this. This this entire conversation, there's a, been a bit of like an eggshell feel to it. I, I think <laughs> I've noticed it in both you and me. and Maybe less me. Probably but. <laughs> less you, but. I definitely know the feeling. Yeah. And. I think that comes from a good place mm-hmm. is that we're, we're not interested in, you know, dividing company and hurting people's feelings and judging, at least I'm not. And, and, but it's such a delicate topic and, you know, words nowadays are so highly charged and you can get in such big trouble for saying what you meant or saying what you did with your intentions mm-hmm. somehow judged uh, and somebody else knows exactly what you must have meant by that. And 
And so you just find yourself like, oh, if I say it that way, I'm going to, you know, offend here. If I say it this way, I'm obviously showing my hand towards something. <laughs> and I, I think that's, that's kind of unfortunate about how dicey our social conversations have become. Um, I, I would love, I'd love to see certainly a church community that's, that's so comfortable in the balance of grace and truth. Yeah. And I mean, that's a huge challenge and it may be naive on my part that uh, an entire church family could, could achieve that because again, everybody's at different points in their growth and certainly at their different points of understanding the scriptures. But um, I'd like to think that a church body as a reflection of Jesus could in fact strike that balance of grace and truth. And, um, you know, we, we have homosexual couples that participate in the life of Cibolo Creek. Um, I've spent time with, with them, and we've had very open, honest discussions about you know, all the ins and outs of, of the topic. And um, I love it that they continue to participate as people pursuing and, you know, seeking to discover more about a relationship with Jesus and I love it that they have never once, never once made me f- to feel bad for my explanations of my understanding of the truth. Yep. And, you know, there's been Sundays where we've we've touched on that topic, not necessarily because it was the topic, but the topic went there for, you know, a brief part of the message. And, and they know, they know where we stand or, you know, the position that we take. They keep coming back. And I think part of the reason they keep coming back is because they have encountered the grace yep. and the love and the loyalty of to them as dear brothers and sisters in Christ and dear brothers and sisters of a church family. And um, we're all at, you know, any number of different places in what it means to be faithful to our journey of following Christ. And we're all learning and and I got my junk. They have their junk. We have I have my mess. They have their mess. And and so I, I think it is possible for a church family to embody something that feels and acts something akin to how Jesus, yeah, you know, portrayed himself and represented himself and encountered people because there's there's so many illustrations of people whose lives Jesus morally would not approve of but he was kind and gracious and respectful to them and in a couple of those illustrations he makes it very clear that their sin they're they're not to continue in their sin but he's not dividing company with them he continues to be their friend yeah and i guess that's you know in my heart i don't know if it's every pastor's dream but certainly it's part of the dream that i have is that sibilo could somehow be a really wonderful expression of a redemptive community where we're all a mess and pursuing a relationship with Jesus and experiencing all the grace that comes with that as well as being held accountable to the truth that we all need to submit to in order to live our lives as a good reflection of Jesus. Oh, I think that was a really good point because it's like, well, I should be no more surprised that that gay couple keeps coming back. Than I am that I keep coming back. Exactly. You know? 
Yes, that's a very good way of saying that one. Especially if, because I mean, there's going to be things that you teach on that I know I commit sin wise. Things are things that I do that aren't the right way. Just as the things you're even teaching on, you do. Yes. You know, um, in the same way, as long as you teach the truth, knowing that we're all going to mess up, we should be no more surprised that they show up than than we ourselves show up. Um, so no, I think that is. One, I do think it's possible. I don't think it's too naive. You always say you're being naive whenever you say <laughs> things you want that are like genuinely good. Yeah, I, I, I think I've noticed. I've noticed that too. I, I guess I'm I'm trying to um, coming an old cynic. No, I don't. Want to <laughs> Maybe it's it's a way of protecting my heart from the disappointment when it doesn't it doesn't happen. That's true. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I I tell you. You know, here we are, we're 25 years as a church, and I have a big dream for this church, and we're not even close to the dream that I had in my heart, and yet here we are 25 years into it, and I'm I'm on the downhill side of my tenure to guide it, and so you start to go... It may never ever look like I had imagined it. So I think maybe sometimes I do. I feel like, am I just too naive to think that any of what I imagined was in fact possible? Mm. And so maybe that's part of the reason to kind of protect my heart and um, the very idealistic mind of Paul Wilson as he imagines the kingdom of God come to earth and the potential of. Um, what God can do in a group of people who submit themselves to him and his design for the church. And so, yeah, I, I have some pretty big dreams and some, I don't want to say high expectations, um, meaning I, I'm not holding other people to those expectations, but probably pretty naturally hold myself to them. And um, I don't know, maybe that's why. That could be a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, Wyatt. It is. I would say keep sharing them. Keep sharing them, though, so that way, like you said, you're kind of on the downhill side of your tenure. So that way they don't go away when you step down, too, you know? Yeah, I think any I think any leader worth his or her salt hopes that over the tenure of their leadership, they've created a culture... Uh, guided by vision and mission and values that were so compelling and so um, reliable and fixed that even when they step away, that 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 momentum of that dream could continue. Yeah. And it's interesting, and we end up getting into a whole different topic. It's just interesting how slowly, how slowly culture is built and how slowly values are adopted. And it's really surprising how often you have to keep repeating them with the hopes of other people catching on to them and embracing them. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But so we carry on. We do. Good chatting with you today. Thanks for Indeed. 
Thanks for this time. I hope this topic and how we handled it would, is going to be helpful in some way to somebody. And otherwise, we're just going to get in ourselves in a whole lot of hot water. Well, or both, which is more likely. <laughs> or both. We got that so, to look forward to. Yeah. But again, so we carry on. We'll see you next time, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.